But now, for a moment, deepen the gospel with me. And deepen the gospel with me like this. Did you know that Jesus loves even babies? He loves even babies. That was Paul's image, even babies. People getting tossed to and fro by the ideologies and the teachings of the world. Jesus loves even babies. Did you know that? Do you remember that story where the disciples are in the storm and Jesus is just sleeping in the boat? Babies! You know, the disciples, we're all going to die. They were babies! And what did Jesus say? He said, I'm done with y'all. You know? No. He said, quiet, be still. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. From Ephesians chapter 4, this is what Paul writes to us there. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with So one hope when you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, 
joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as it, each part does its work. This is the word of God. Well, I can tell you one thing. I've been praying hard about this sermon all week. Let me set it up for you like this. Over the past few months, I, like many of you, have been able to get out a lot more, and it's been great. I've been able to actually communicate with people, not through Zoom or FaceTime or a phone call, but actually be with people and see them and understand them. You know how you are in a personal conversation with them and you can just feel the communication palpably like that. And it's been great. Been able to relationships that had gone sort of dormant during the pandemic. I've been able to create new relationships and and I've also been able to engage in what I call churchmanship. Not statesmanship, churchmanship. I've been able to have dozens and dozens of conversations with other church leaders and with other pastors all around the United States. And for the most part, those conversations have been encouraging and uplifting, but there has also been an undercurrent. It sort of hit me in the face when I was talking to this one person, this one pastor. I think I might respect him of all the pastors that I know, strong and, and true and loving and gentle man, a good pastor. And he was just broken. You know what he told me? He said that the divisions out there in the world had walked right into his church. You see, what we have on tap today in Ephesians is a teaching on unity. How do we do this? I'm asking. How do we as a church be unified when even the rest of the church is breaking apart along the lines of the world? How do we do this? How do, how do, we, how do we stop from being like what Paul says, babies, you know, babies who are just tossed back and forth on the wind and the waves. I mean, it's as horrifying as you think it is. I think of babies and I start thinking about shaken baby syndrome. How do we do this? How do we be what Paul calls us to be today, this strong man who grows up into Christ. The wind and the waves beat against them and they don't move. They are so unified. How do we do this? Paul gives us three answers. We recognize, first of all, the priority of unity. We recognize, second of all, the priority of the teaching of the church. And thirdly, we recognize the priority of God. The priority of unity, 
the priority of the teaching of the church, and finally, the priority of God. Here's the first one, the priority of unity. To state the obvious, our church is not going to be unified unless we want to be. And Paul pushes us to that. He starts out like this with this emotional plea. He says, ah, a prisoner of God, urge you to walk. <laughs> what an emotional plea. He says, ah, I'm the guy in chains. I can't walk anywhere. I'm bound. This is how I want you to walk. He's got this emotional plea. And then he goes into what I call his spirituality of relationship. He wants us to hold on to each other. This is what he's pushing toward. He is pushing for us to walk in unity. So he says, be gentle. Don't be harsh towards each other. He says, be humble. Think of other people as better than yourself. He says, bear with one another in love. Don't let anything separate you. Bear everything. And then he climaxes his call. He says, make Every effort. Make every effort. He said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Make every effort. It's a priority of unity. Now, I want to be clear. None of this is a critique. It's not a critique from Paul, and it's not a critique from me. It's not a critique from Paul. Paul didn't say restore the unity. He didn't say that. He said keep it. I'm saying the same thing. I'm not, I'm, this is not a critique. It's not a critique of peace. I'm not coming to you, and I'm not saying restore the unity. I'm saying keep it. It's not a critique. God, God has made this a loving church. People who come into the center of this church, who live life in this church, who have relationships in this church, they come up to me and they tell me, this is a special place. It is. It's a special place. I, I'm not critiquing that. I'm not telling you we don't have that. We have it. I'm telling you to keep it. Because here's the thing. God did it. But the thing about God's gifts is this. Human beings have the incredible capacity to destroy them. Most of you know this. A lot of you do, at least. You'll come to me and you'll say, peace is a special place. I'll say, yeah, it is. What do I always say next? We're going to have to work to keep it that way. Now, I can't, I can't amp this up like Paul. I can't come to you and say, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk this way. I can't do it. I'm free as a bird. <laughs> can't do it. But maybe I can amp up this call like this. We live in an incredibly divided culture. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So here's my call to you based on that. 
keep the world out of our church. Keep it out. It does not belong here. Make every effort. Every effort. I mean, if you're having a conversation with a member of peace, why would you ever have that conversation with them unless you are willing to have it with every member of peace? Do you, is it, would you do that because you don't understand that when you, when you do that, like that doesn't get out? What about, what about like texting stuff to people or, or like sharing a blog or like stuff like that? How, how do you do that? Can you do that? Is, is that okay? Well, would you share it with every member of peace? Would you have coffee with them over it? Would you pray with them over it? Because if you wouldn't, then why? Why'd you share it? We have one Lord. We have one faith. We have one baptism. We have one God who is over all and is through all and is in all. Why would we ever wreck that? Okay, there's your first part. Woo, we made it. Paul calls us to a priority of unity. That leads us right into a priority of the teaching of the church. See, here's the rub, because now we're talking about we're starting to talk about things that we believe, things that we want to share. This is a very Christian thing to do. We have things that we believe, we want to share them. This is what we do as Christians. So how do we know it's true? How do we know it's really shareable? What's worth it? I, I want to just make an observation with you. People who ask me, I, I tell them, I think we're living in a crisis. We actually are living in a time of what I call a, a crisis of, of an epistemology of knowledge. What in the world does that mean? It's, it means that we live in a time when, when people don't know how to know. People are struggling to know how to know what is real, what is false. People are, it's a crisis. People go on the internet, they read an article, they call it research. It's not research. You just Googled it. People, people, people have a conversation with people who they know are like-minded. They confirm their own biases. They call it thinking. It's a crisis. Oh, but it's worse. Because on the one hand, people don't even know where to find truth. On the one hand, you got some people who are, you got NPR and NPR saying, oh, we're an arbiter of truth and reason. And you got Twitter and you got Facebook. And they're censoring information they don't think should be out there. And then on the other hand, you got people who are like talking about the so-called liberal media. 
And then they go off on their platforms and they want to share what they believe to be true. And so, shockingly, this is what can happen. Has this ever happened to you? It's happened to me. You're on one side of the room and you're having a conversation with one person. They believe that this thing is God's own truth. And then you go to the other side of the room and you have the exact conversation about the exact same issue and they are in the exact opposite direction. It is God's own truth. It's a crisis of knowledge. What's true? What's false? How do we as a church in an environment like that in an culture like that, find unity. Well, I'll tell you this much. We won't. We won't. If we spend all of our time taking in and being influenced by and being taught by and being filled by all of the voices out there we won't. Now you're starting to see where I'm going. There is a priority of the teaching of the church. This is, this is not what I'm saying. This is not what I'm saying. This is not even what Paul is saying. This is what Christ is doing in your life. It's Christ. What did say, Paul say? Christ, who has ascended higher than all the heavens, who has descended lower than all the earth, who is, who is king of, of all of heaven and earth, clearly is king of all of heaven and earth, is Christ, who is now filling all of the universe, Paul says. It is Christ who is doing this, and Christ who is giving you the public teaching ministry of the church. This is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the public teaching minister of the ministry of the church. Look at what he says. Paul says, Christ gave you apostles. The apostles, you know, those guys who, who witnessed the risen Christ, who, who wrote down the teachings of Jesus. That's the apostles. Christ gave them to you. And Christ gave you the prophets, those guys who interpret the word of God and interpret the moment for you. Christ gave them to you. And Christ gave you the evangelists, you know, those people who share the gospel with people all over the world and lead people to Christ. Christ gave those those people to you all over the world but he's giving you one here in the local church too what does it say Christ himself gave pastors that is teachers the NIV gets the translation wrong it's, it's wrong it's not pastors and teachers like separate things. There's just one thing that pastors that is teachers. What is the main qualification in the Bible for a pastor? They got to be apt to teach. Pastors are teachers in the local church. Now I think that's interesting what Paul does here. I think it's very interesting. As you notice what he doesn't say. It's very interesting. He doesn't, he doesn't say, how do, how, do, how do we maintain unity? You know, how do, how do we do this in a, in a world that's fracturing? How do we maintain unity? He doesn't say the Bible. It's very interesting. 
Now the Bible's there. The prophets gave it to us. The, the apostles gave it to you. You got the Bible. But what is his last word? His last word is not the word. How do we find unity? He doesn't say the word. What does he say? Pastors. Now that's interesting. I think that's very interesting. Why? I'll suggest to you it's this. Because while the Bible is the Bible is the Bible and it is God's word. And while the word of God is true forever and ever and ever. The work that has to be done in the local church is applying it. And that's the gift of a pastor. So you got to hear Paul in this Let's work it out for a second. This is what Paul's saying. Every Christian, every single Christian has the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul taught us that. Every single Christian has a special gift of the Spirit that is meant to be poured into the life of the church to bless other people. Every single Christian has those things. But... Paul, nor Jesus, thinks that every Christian is equipped to deal adequately with every ideology and every truth claim out there in the world in such a way that they can go out and live according to the will of God. Christ has given the gift of pastors to help with that. So I want to, if I could, I want to help you receive the gift for a second. Do you realize what, what Paul has given you here, what Christ himself has given you here? In a time when people don't know who or what to trust, what has Christ given you? He has given you somebody who is grounded on the word of God, full of the Holy Spirit, somebody who lives life right there in front of you so you can see that he's not a hypocrite, that he's true, and somebody who is personally called to love you, serve you, and protect you. That talking head on YouTube he doesn't love you. I do. That lady whose views you love of the world, she doesn't pray for you. I do. If I may, and I may. <laughs> Why is the internet such a great place to get stuff anyway? Everybody should know by now that the internet equals neither knowledge nor wisdom nor love. Why would we ever inherently trust anything that is coming from a place that is mostly cat videos and pornography? 
What has Christ given you in the past? He's given you somebody who's grounded on the word of God, who's full of the Holy Spirit, and who is there to love you, protect you, and serve you, who's personally called to do that. You know what happens when you listen to your pastor? You know what happens when you use him to help you understand your world through the word? You know what happens? You have incredible capacity. You want? Let me put it like this. I go on YouTube, and YouTube's got my number. I'm serious. I love it. I love going on YouTube because YouTube just feeds me track videos. It's amazing. They have got my algorithm down. They give me exactly what I want to see and exactly what I want to listen to, track videos. And you know what happens when you're on cable TV or you're streaming something and you don't like hearing what you're hearing? You just change the channel or you shut it off. It's great. But here's the thing about a pastor. He's got no algorithm. He is not dumb enough to tell you what you want to hear. And in fact, sometimes you're probably sitting with me or you're listening to a sermon, you're like, turn that guy off. I've changed the channel. You can't. Which means that you might just grow. In fact, Paul, Paul would have it today that we stop being country bumpkin, naive about all this stuff. Everybody has an agenda, he points out. I've got an agenda. <laughs> totally. You know what it is. You know what my agenda is? Christ, in your life. I'm, my job is to get you to eternal life. I've got an agenda. You know what it is. Everybody's got an agenda. You think that lady doesn't have an agenda? She's monetizing, monetizing your eyeballs. You think they're not trying to get you on some sort of platform and agenda? Of course they are. Paul talks about the cunning and the craftiness and the deceitful schemes of this world. We cannot afford to be country bumpkin naive. So, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Stop getting tossed to and fro, right and left, by the winds and the waves and the ideologies and the teachings and the truth claims of this world. Christ has given you a gift. There you go. You made it. That's part two. You made it. Whew. The priority of the teaching of the church. And now for the last part. The priority of God. This, by the way, is the, the most important part of this sermon. It's the part that's going to make this sermon work. 
the priority of God. I'm not talking about your priority towards God. I'm talking about God's priority of you to completely save you. See, what I want to do for a second is I want to step back in the book of Ephesians. Step back with me in the book of Ephesians. We just started Ephesians chapter 4. And what Paul is doing in Ephesians chapter 4 is he is laying out the walk of the Christian. This is how I want you to walk. He has just started his ethical teaching for Christians. This is what the Christian walk looks like. But remember, Paul is balanced. You've got Ephesians 1 through 3, which is the doctrinal, teaching, gospel-centered part of Ephesians. And we went through that. And then you have the ethical teaching that flows from it. Ephesians 1 through 3 is balanced by Ephesians 4 through, th- 4 through 6. You've got Christ and his salvation for you. And this is how we walk because we know that stuff now. And so here in Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 4, we are taking our first tentative steps in our walk with Christ. And so you got to remember as we do that that God has a prior priority. He has already completely saved you. He's already completely saved you. In fact, let me let me let me put it to you like this. Everything that Christ has asked of you today is something that he has already perfectly gifted to you. He calls you to humility. And what did Christ say? He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Why? Because I am gentle and I am humble with you. He calls you to gentleness. He's been gentle with you. He calls you to bear with one another, to never give, ever give up with each other. I always think my wife has to put up with a lot with me. Think of how much Jesus has to put up with each one of us. <laughs> he always bears with us. He said, make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace when Christ already gave us a unity of peace with God through his death on the cross. Everything, see, everything that Christ asks of us, he has already given to us perfectly. This is always how it works with God. Before we ever love God, he loved us. Before we ever work for him, he has worked salvation for us. This is how it always works with God. But now, for a moment, deepen the gospel with me. And deepen the gospel with me like this. Did you know that Jesus loves even babies he loves even babies that was Paul's image here babies people getting tossed to and fro by the ideologies and the teachings of the world Jesus loves even babies did you know that 
Do you remember that story where the disciples are in the storm and Jesus is just sleeping in the boat? Babies, you know, the disciples, we're all going to die. They were babies. And what did Jesus say? He said, I'm done with y'all, you know. No. He said, quiet, be still. Jesus loves even babies. Same thing in Ephesus. The Ephesian Christians are getting tossed to and fro. Paul didn't come to them, and he did not say, he did not say, grow up or I am out. They had already been completely saved. Apparently, Jesus loves even babies. So here's my call to all of you based on that today. Keep your heart in heaven today. Keep your heart in heaven and keep your body on earth. I'm riffing right now on, on the way that Luther so helpfully taught Christians to live their lives. Keep your heart in heaven. Keep your body on earth. Keep your heart where you are forgiven and you are loved in Christ. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everything that Paul taught us in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 is still true for you. It is not based on your performance in the church. It is not based on how unified you've been over the past couple years. It's not based on any of that. Jesus loves even babies. But I'll also say this. While it's true that Jesus loves babies, by the way, I love babies too. <laughs> I love babies. If you are one, the ride's going to stink. You'll get to heaven. You will. You'll be completely saved. God has done all of that in Christ. Everybody who is in Christ, even babies, are going to heaven. It's just that the ride's going to stink along the way because you're going to get tossed to and fro. The ride's going to stink. Also, I love babies. Somebody's going to walk up to me after the sermon and tell me I don't. No, I do. I love babies. Jesus loves babies. Your church loves babies. We all love babies. God loves babies. But babies aren't good for much. They just suck up everybody else's resources. It's just being honest. We love babies. They're not good for anything. They're not productive. This is a sermon that not only having heard these things, we keep our hearts in heaven, those parts that we've messed up, we're forgiven, but we do walk on earth. When we do this the way that Paul has called us to do this, you know what we get to do? Grow up. Grow up into Christ so that we're productive in the world. So that this church, with all of its gifts and all of its powerful, loving people, can be everything 
that God has called us to be in Christ. Let's pray about that. Lord Jesus Christ, your great apostle Paul saw his church in Ephesus getting tossed to and fro by the ideologies and teachings of the world. They were babies in Christ and and Paul called them to grow. Lord, for whatever part of us that has happened in our world in the same way, we ask that you forgive us and that you restore us and we trust that you have. And we ask that through this teaching from your great apostle, that you would grow us up into Christ, that we might be the church you have called us to be for each other and for our dying world. It's in your great name I pray. Amen.